0: Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Loneliness is an extremely common problem. Most everyone experiences loneliness at one point or another. So it's perhaps one of the most common things that we can experience. But some people experience loneliness in a particular way. Some people experience a a, a very high intensive feeling of loneliness because of the fact that that loneliness has been there for so many years and it doesn't seem to fade away ever. Others because of the type of alienation that they experience. There's a profound and deep alienation that they sense and they feel, and therefore their loneliness is particularly intense. And there are many, many biblical examples that show us that, as believers, we are not immune from such feelings. One example is the Apostle Paul, who experienced deep loneliness in his ministry, and, of course, later in his imprisonment. As he was in prison, and he shared in the letters that he wrote from prison, how indeed everybody had abandoned him and left him. John the Baptist experienced deep loneliness at times. And that deep loneliness at one point caused him to send someone to Jesus, asking, in essence, asking Jesus, is this alienation, imprisonment, loneliness, all that I'm going to see as a result of the fruit of my ministry? The response of Jesus, and, and there would be a sermon in itself, but the response of Jesus is quite incredible, quite unique, because at that point, when the, when the disciple of John went to Jesus, asked that question, Jesus performed incredible miracles in the presence of John's disciples, and then told the disciples of John, go and report to John what you have seen. Now, Jesus himself, by all means, was not immune to loneliness either. Look at the scenario that we just read in Luke And the birth of Jesus Christ. We don't see a baby born in in the luxury of a palace. Maybe Herod's palace, which was less than two miles away. Jesus was not born there. But he was born in loneliness. Rejected by people. And it's not even that Joseph and Mary had not gone and knocked at doors. They did. They went down to Bethlehem. And, and as Mary was having her pangs of, of childbirth, they were knocking on the doors. They were knocking on the door insistently, too, and say, Please, we got my, my wife is in labor. We need a place. We need a place to stay. And the people said, Get out of here. Go away. You don't have much money, or we're already full. We have enough people. Everybody is staying in here. We don't have any room for you. We know that God was in full control of the circumstances. And so let's not blame those people too much, although they made their choice and, and they did reject them. But, but let's focus on for a moment why God chose for that birth to occur in that way. Because God had a reason. God had a purpose. He, he wanted those things to occur in that way and to happen in that way for a reason. And here's, here's why. God had a message for you and for me. And that message is in your deepest loneliness. God is not a stranger. He felt it himself. He was born alone. Oftentimes, he ministered alone. He died very, very much alone. You see, he came into this world for us, to reach out to us, to pay for our sins, and to offer the ultimate solution, not only for our sins, but for the consequences of that sin. Loneliness is one of the worst causes of human suffering. And why do I say that? Well, because we can put up with a lot of things when we know that we're not alone. But when we face problems and challenges and difficulties all along, they become very quickly overwhelming. They become very quickly challenges and problems that are so difficult to deal with because we feel like we have no resources, no support no situational support around us that will give us that extra energy, that extra motivation, that extra oomph that we need to tackle the problem and bring it to a solution. And so oftentimes we give up when we start feeling lonely and then loneliness becomes a pervasive emotion, an overwhelming emotion. It seems like it clouds everything we see around and everything we think and everything we do. If you think about that, without God, that is an unavoidable feeling, isn't it? Because without God, well, it's almost like being homeless in a universe, isn't it? And without God, there is no meaning to our aspirations. And so we end up feeling more isolated and even more lonely. Oh, yes, we keep busy and we work and we try to do all sorts of different things to compensate for that. To kick away that thought of the feeling, the emotion. But ultimately, without God, we really don't have a permanent answer. Everything that we do is only temporary, and that feeling will come back right back again. Loneliness, you see, is a state of mind. And that's a very important concept to, keep, to learn and to keep in mind. Loneliness is actually a state of mind. And what difference does it make? Well, very simple. You know, if you think you are happy, what would you do? You act happy. If you think you're sad, if your mind tells you and your emotions tell you you're sad, well, you act sad. Likewise, if you think you're lonely, you start acting lonely. And then the feelings compound. Because emotions are a reaction to our outlook, to our thoughts, and to our actions. And then the the emotions respond to that. So it's our thoughts tell us we're lonely. And we start thinking and dwelling on the thought that we're lonely. We're all alone and nobody cares for us. And usually, I'm not worth anything type of thoughts. And then we start acting on that and the feeling becomes bigger. And as we feel that emotion, then we respond to the emotion ourselves and we get locked into the thinking again, in fact, even more so, and then we act more so. And then we get more emotion coming back to us, stimulated, stirred up within us. And that can be a vicious cycle. But a lonely person tends to think that life is filled with burdens and obstacles. Situations generally are traumatic, serious. They think they are inadequate, unworthy, undesirable, worthless. And in addition to all that, they become frustrated because they think that their troubles are going to continue. What's the use? It's going to be worse anyway. Why should I go? And I've heard somebody, for instance, say, why should I continue to socialize when I know that nothing is going to happen? I'm going to feel just as lonely as I ever have. So they start thinking about themselves, their world, and their future in a lonely fashion, And they get locked into that. And it gets worse and worse. However, one thing that escapes the thinking of a lonely person often is the fact that loneliness is only a temporary situation, a temporary state. Rarely, if ever, loneliness becomes permanent. And the only way that we can really be permanent is without Christ, having rejected Christ. But other than that, Ultimately, all loneliness is only temporary because we are looking forward to an eternity in companionship and oneness with the best and the highest and the greatest being in the universe and everyone who can be called his child. Loneliness can be the result of different things, and much time could be spent on that. But let me just summarize by saying loneliness can be either the result of sin, Direct sin, that means that we commit a sin, and as a result of that, we find ourselves very lonely. Sometimes unfaithfulness can be bringing that up, or sometimes other sins can bring it up. But loneliness can also result from the circumstances of life. And in fact, you might say that loneliness can also result from the fact that we live in a sinful world, and we live in a fallen world, and therefore, circumstances in life sometimes cause us to be isolated, rejected. Lonely, inadequate. We don't live in a perfect world, do we? And so as we face that and we cope with it, we try to cope with it, we end up, sometimes we end up being locked up in or, or stimulated to adopt wrong solutions. Especially for the unbeliever, that is the case, isn't it? The reaction to loneliness can be devastating. Facing emptiness and loneliness, we tend to see other people as threats to our search for happiness. Because we desire that, we crave that, we want that happiness, we want to feel good, but then we see other people disappointing us and rejecting us, and so we start turning around and looking at them as the cause of our unhappiness and a hindrance to our pursuit of happiness. And that in itself is going to lock us up in more of an isolation and loneliness in itself. Negativism and despair will often cause us to, re- to retreat further into selfishness, into alienation, hostility sometimes. A very common way, a twisted, distorted way of dealing with loneliness is what can be called pseudo-friendships. Friendships that appear to be friendships, but really they aren't. There are several different kinds that some authors bring up four types of those. One is called, generally called, functional relationships. In other words, those relationships that are not established based on who the other person is, but based on what the other person can do for us. And in dealing with people that have this problem of loneliness, I've encountered that many, many times. They look at other people, not as people, but as suppliers of what they need. And so functional relationships are established. I have a relationship with that person because of what that person can do for me. And usually companionship is part of that. I'm expecting a person not to make me feel lonely anymore. And a friendship is established, but it's not a real friendship, is it? Promiscuous relationships. And I'm not talking about just in a sexual sense. Inappropriate relationships can occur outside of the realm of the sexual relationship. How about chattering away our lives in a way that's indiscriminate? Sharing things that we should never share, but we share them because we feel so lonely. We don't have anyone to talk to. And so sometimes we find a stranger, and we say to the stranger private, intimate things that we would not say to anybody else normally, unless we felt so lonely and the lack of sharing was so felt. Instead of building loyalty slowly and faithfully in a relationship that can expose us, to the lack of loyalty because a stranger doesn't have a vow or a commitment to loyalty toward us. And then what happens when that stranger turns around and we get hurt and we feel they're not being loyal to us because we expected them to be, but they don't have such a commitment to us, then it hurts even more and it causes us to isolate from others and increases the sense of loneliness. Contractual relationships, those are the relationships that are built up or are established in exchange of goods or services as a conditional um, requirement of the relationship. Those are relationships that oftentimes are broken very quickly because One or the other party does not live up to the contract. Sometimes marriages are established that way, as a contractual relationship. I I marry you if you provide this for me, and I provide this for you, and then pretty soon I find out that what they provide is not enough, and the relationship breaks down. A fourth of one, which is a very treacherous one, is an addictive relationship. Sometimes people become addicted to a relationship because... Not because the relationship is good for them. In fact, most times the relationship is quite bad for them. But they become addicted to the relationship because, in their view, it's the only way to cope with the loneliness that otherwise they feel. And sometimes women are more prone to this kind of situation, an addictive relationship, where they start thinking, I'd much rather have a bad relationship than no relationship at all because I can't handle the sense of loneliness that I feel. Uh, a couple of books have been written on that that I've been exposed to. One of them is entitled Why Smart Women Make Foolish Choices. And because there are certain triggers in their needs as a female, as a woman, are, are stimulated. And they end up doing things that seem to be totally illogical. Totally against their own self-interest, in fact. And end up in very bad relationships with very serious consequences. But oftentimes at the root of that is a sense of loneliness that a woman really does not want to cope with, to deal with. So those are dangers indeed. Someone wrote a modern man is addicted to other persons, and the more addicted, the less satisfied, and the more lonely. That kind of relationship never really pays out. It leaves a vacuum behind, because it's not a sincere relationship. And that vacuum that it leaves behind causes even more loneliness to deal and to cope with. By the way, marriage. And that can be surprising for some people who feel the loneliness because of singlehood. Marriage is not the answer to loneliness. There are people who feel very lonely, who marry in order to get get rid of that feeling of loneliness, but they continue to be lonely, and now they're making someone else lonely. So now in that marriage, you have two lonely people, and it doesn't really work. Loneliness, I I would suggest that loneliness and the sense of profound, deep loneliness especially, needs to be sorted out before. And perhaps if you find someone you love and you want to get married, but you have this overwhelming loneliness and you deal with that and learn to resolve it before you actually get married, because if you bring it into the marriage, chances are you're going to have two people feeling lonely. But being a state of mind, the good news is that that state of mind can change. And God has a great deal to say about that. Another thing that is not the answer is seeking temporal blessings. You know, sometimes lonely people tend to devote all of their energy and all their focus on temporal blessings. They ask God, for instance, God, I need a husband. God, I need a wife. God, I need a friend. God, I need a social life. And it's all focused on the here and now. On a temporal world, on the temporary situation that we live in. And you know what? Nothing in this temporal world can ever provide the permanent solution that we are really looking for. And if we only focus on those kind of blessings, we're missing the real key, the real answer. And chances are that we can only put a patch on top of the loneliness. And we'll find that loneliness to be again overwhelming, maybe a month or two down the road. Because truly what we are trying to do is to fill in a gap within the spirit that we have, that God has given to us, that no human being can and should try to fill. My marriage is not perfect, but thank God is a blessing. And my wife and I have been married now for 23 years going on. We have a very blessed marriage. But one of the reasons I think that God blessed the marriage is because both of us, before we got married, got together and made a commitment to each other before God. And that commitment was, you will never be number one in my life. You will always be number two. I commit to God first, to you second. Why is that so important? Because if I expect my wife to fill the gap that only God can fill within me, I'm going to be lonely like crazy. But she's also going to be in crisis because she may be tempted to play God. And no human being can play God. No human being can give us what God can give us. No human being should even think about that or try to do that because it just can never, ever work. Something to think about. Another way not to address that, it's in a health and wealth type of mode. Here's what I'm talking about. When a preacher speaks as if the chief desire and the chief purpose of God is to make people happy, Multitude of people are going to respond to that because everybody wants to feel happy. But what happens then afterwards? What happens when these people experience pain and sorrow and the sorrow of life? Was Jesus here? Did he? Was he born so that you and I can be happy? Was he born as a happy boy? Revered and appreciated and, and worshipped by everybody? Notice the passage that we just read that nobody was even aware of the fact that a child was even born. The angels had to go around and wake up people and tell people, hey, don't you know the awesome thing that has happened here? And the angels went around the countryside and told the shepherds, and only after the angels knocked the shepherds awake and told them something big has happened in here, that the shepherds got up and say, hmm, let's go and take a look. Let's see what this is all about. But if it wasn't for that, no one would even know that that child was born, except for Joseph and Mary. Did Christ come to this world so you and I can be happy? Or does Scripture say that he came so he could share our sorrows? The Scriptures say perhaps that Jesus Christ came to take upon himself our sorrows and our infirmities and our sinfulness and our death and our pain Well, that paints a different picture, doesn't it? It seems like God's purpose is not to make us happy, but God's purpose is to provide a permanent solution to the human problem, and that permanent solution is found in Christ. And so when preachers come up and say, you know, God will make you find happiness right here and now, what they're selling is a bunch of smoke. And when that pain and the sorrow of life, the same sorrow, the same pain that Christ came to experience with us and for us, and as Scripture says, it is in that pain, it is in that sorrow that we meet God, that instead of meeting God, these people are going to feel let down by God. They're going to feel like God is not being faithful to his job of making them happy. And so we find that people think that God let them down if he doesn't provide a husband or a wife within three months or six months or whatever it is that their time limit that they set up. What is the key then and what is the solution? What is it all about? And why does that, is that so relevant to the birth of Jesus Christ? And to the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and experienced from the beginning and all the way to the end and experienced among the other things that loneliness that you and I sometimes or in some cases most times experience. Well, Jesus was born in loneliness. We mentioned that already. But he was also born in obscurity. When he was born, it was kind of dark, right? Because people could see the stars. That means it wasn't the night. It was also in obscurity because nobody would have known unless the angels went around doing the work of God proclaiming that. The same work, by the way, that you and I are called to do. Jesus was born in a corruptible world full of sin and selfishness. A world that is illustrated in Scripture as a world in darkness. So it just made sense that he would be born in a dark cave, in a dark night, in a darkness, in the obscurity of people not even being aware of him being there. unless the angels had announced it, like I said. The world, in that story represented by the innkeeper, was so wrapped up in its own affairs that they could not help a woman bearing a child. No one would make room for Mary in the inn. Money and personal comfort were more important than helping this woman and that child. And that is symbolic of the spiritual darkness of the world in which we live in, isn't it? But that did not end with his birth. Oftentimes, Jesus Christ was very much alone in his ministry. Oftentimes followed by a few, a handful of disciples, sometimes by the crowds. But the crowds were there in a Functional relationship. They were not there for who he was. They were there for what he could do for them. You see? Look at the end. Why ultimately, why did Jesus Christ come into this world? So that he could die for you and for me. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, born in darkness, a symbol of our state without him, died. And when he died on the 11th hour, the world was dark again. An eerie darkness for some time wrapped all the people around there. Man is separated from the light if with light we intend God, His righteousness, His word. Scripture says in John 3 that this is a condemnation. The light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light and neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. And without Christ, guess what? We stand all alone, don't we? All alone, and we're cast in an outer darkness without him, where there is no way that we can see anything or anyone for that matter. Sometimes people think of the outer darkness as a place of partying around. Well, there's nothing more false into that. Because in both the views of what that outer darkness means... There is abject loneliness and the most absolute form of loneliness that you can possibly manage, imagine. And that's not a state that we'd like to have. But Jesus took that upon himself. Jesus, among the other things, your sinfulness, my sinfulness, he took upon himself that loneliness, that isolation, that rejection that we experience. He took it upon the cross. In Gethsemane, he was facing a loneliness of bearing it all for us, and he could not share it with anybody. He was all alone in that, and he experienced the terrible emotions and the distress that the solitary people do, that the lonely people do, that the homeless people have. And more than that, much more than that, because Jesus Christ confronted a loneliness that no human being can ever experience. The loneliness that Jesus experienced is so deep and so profound that no human being can ever, ever experience. Because you're talking about God, the antithesis of sin, God Almighty who communed with the Father and the Holy Spirit since eternity. Now, I'm not saying for eternity, but since eternity. Try to imagine eternity in the past sense. And that's the kind of fellowship that Jesus was accustomed to. So if you look at it from a slightly human perspective, one thing that Jesus was not accustomed to is loneliness. But at that time at Gethsemane, and then later on the cross, Even the hosts of the holy angels and God and the Holy Spirit turned around because upon him, he took upon himself the sinfulness that is so opposite to God that it absolutely has nothing in common with God. He took upon himself the cup of God's wrath. That's the kind of depth of loneliness that Jesus experienced that you and I cannot even begin to comprehend. But how did did Jesus reach out to us? In our loneliness well there is one example in the gospels that i would like to bring to your attention there are many but i would like to focus on one and that's a leopard man a man affected by leprosy and leprosy is a very serious illness not just physically but socially emotionally as well there is a complete isolation from these people from the other people and this this individual a leopard are rejected by everyone most likely feeling a deep, profound sense of loneliness in their afflictions, in their struggles. And what did Jesus do? Now, of course, think about this outcast that nobody wants to even get close to him, probably alone and feeling that deep loneliness for years. Jesus went close to him, reached out to him, touched him, then he healed him. The first thing that Jesus did was to reach out to him and touch him. A human contact. Telling this person, I am here. I am with you. The first thing that Jesus addressed in the leper is the loneliness. The rejection. The fact that he was an outcast. And then, after he had that contact, that touch, he healed him. He restored not only his health, but his dignity as well. And Jesus Christ is reaching out to you and me in the same way today. We can have a solution, an answer to the loneliness as well. But that real, true solution requires faith. Much of the loneliness is fear. Fear of the future, isn't it? We don't like the state that we live in right now. We project it in the future, and we're afraid that it's going to be like that in the future. It's the opposite of belief, isn't it? And so, Believing God tends to eliminate that fear. And as we eliminate that fear, we eliminate part of a sting from a loneliness that we experience. Believing that God actually cares and one day will deliver us through any and all circumstances of life, including loneliness, erases much or most of all of that fear that often comes with the loneliness. You know, we can experience loneliness in different ways. But it's that fear element that makes it overwhelming oftentimes. The deliverance that we're looking for is really not in the circumstances of life or in other people, but it's in Christ. If you're lonely, you feel outcast, rejected, and despised, then you must listen to the words that Jesus Christ has for you because Jesus Christ has spoken something for you. And he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, And I will give you rest. And if you are caught in a bondage of loneliness, you are weary and you are heavy laden. And that word is for you specifically and you personally. That's the word of your Creator. And He says, Come to me if you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He was not a stranger to loneliness, He was not a stranger to pain and difficulties. But he was gentle and humble in heart. And, not as a promise, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you are in in that loneliness, that is perhaps one thing that is incredibly appealing, is rest for your soul. A rest from the struggles of trying to sort that out. A rest from the worry and the fear of tomorrow. A rest from the performance mode that we put ourselves in. Maybe if I perform differently, people will like me better, and I won't be so lonely after all. A rest from all sorts of false solutions, some of which we talked about and many others we could. Or find a rest in Christ and in the promises of Christ. Perhaps the major of which, in that case, when you feel that kind of loneliness, is the one that says, hey, come. Come, if you're thirsty, come to the waters and drink abundantly. You don't have any money. You can't go and please other people and make people like you so that you'll become popular and you can become your number one and everybody loves you, everybody likes you, and you're always in company and they always do the things that you would like them to do for you and to you. No, you don't have that currency, do you? But Jesus said, so what? Come. And buy bread and buy drink and eat and drink with no money. Because I don't ask a currency. I'm not asking you to perform in a certain way. All that God asks us to do is to accept that gift and accept that relationship with Jesus Christ. And surely, by the way, no false promises there. Jesus Christ made it very clear that perhaps we will experience loneliness. But you know we will not never experience it the same way. When Christ is part of a picture, we don't experience it the same way. The only condition, we must simply come to Christ. Both statements in the New Testament and the Old Testament, they say the same thing. They talk about those who are weary and heavy laden by all these things, emotions, feelings, situations, circumstances, you name it. The deep loneliness, and it says, come to me. Notice that, come to me. It doesn't say, sit on your couch, feel sorry for yourself, and I'll come to you and rescue you. It says, no, come to me, do something, move, take action. Be proactive spiritually with God. Seek him, and you will find him. Knock, and he shall be open unto you. Search, and you will find, and you will find God, and in him you will find the rest that he has promised, the rest from all the struggling And maybe even the acceptance that for a time, for a time, God has chosen for us to be blessed through the experience of loneliness. Blessed in many different ways. Blessed because it is in loneliness that we appreciate the promise of Jesus Christ that I will be with you always, even to the end of this world. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. How do you appreciate that if you never experience loneliness? We would take it so much for granted. A blessing because it is in loneliness that we appreciate the value of Hospitality. It is an experience in experiencing that loneliness that we appreciate the value of visiting someone who feels that way. And it makes us so much better ministers and servants of Jesus Christ for the other people as well. In a world that is so distracting from relationships with music, television, entertainment, cast areas, walkmans, iPods, theaters, uh, movie theaters, alienate us from each other and make us spectators of someone else's life rather than actors in our own life, hospitality is a haven that is precious, because when you extend hospitality to somebody else, you tell them, I care enough about you to shut that TV, I care enough about you to shut that radio, I care enough about you to shut my iPod and put my full attention on you. But you say, wait a second, but I'm the one who's all lonely, and you're asking me to put my attention on someone else? Yeah, I do. And you know why? Why? Because if you're in a mode of trying to get the attention from the other people, you will get into those pseudo-friendships. And you will default back to that. But if you listen to Jesus, Jesus says, don't be there to be ministered to. Be there to minister to the others. And that will make a big difference, because as you minister to the other people, your loneliness will be dealt with as well. But don't do it just because of the loneliness. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Because it's a ministry to Jesus Christ. It's an act of worship toward Christ. And the benefit of not being lonely will come. The principle is a golden rule. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the sum of the law and the prophets. The solution is God's love. But I didn't want to tell you the beginning because if I just say, you know, the solution to the problem is God's love, i already tuned you out because you've heard it a million times, but perhaps we didn't quite catch what that really means. I hope I explained a little better what that is. I hope I illustrated how that love was manifest when Jesus Christ was born, and in his birth, his ministry, and in his death, he took upon himself your loneliness. He experienced it for you for two reasons. To reach out to you in that loneliness and to bring you to him to relieve you from the pain of that loneliness. We sometimes experience it just the Apostle, like the Apostle Paul did, like John the Baptist did, like Jesus himself did. But there will be a side, a dimension in that. They will be totally different. And a Christian will view relational needs as reflective of who we are. That loneliness may even help us to realize who we are, a child of God, not a child of this world, not a friend of some people, but a child of God who always has access to the greatest father ever, to the one who displayed his love in the most awesome way. And a relationship with the creator that is not going to end. You see, my friendship with people ends. My relationships on a human level will end. No relationship is permanent. Marriage, the most permanent relationship on a human level, will, will last only until death. Your children, their, your relationship with them, as long as you can provide something for them, is fine, and then they're gone, right? <laughs> okay, I'm a little facetious here, but you know what I mean? When they're little and they need you, they'll be there, but then when they try their own wings, off they go and they're gone, and that relationship is only temporary. But that relationship with God is permanent. And fellowship are the greatest and best way is awaiting for us as we share eternity and glory with them. That's a fellowship that will never be taken away. There will be no such thing as loneliness there at all in any form or fashion or way. So for the time being, sometimes loneliness can be a gift that sensitizes us and makes us more aware of who God is and who he should be in our life and the need of others around us so that in his name, We can minister to them and experience the joy that God has set before us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being a God of love. We thank you for the empathy that you have toward us. We thank you for teaching us to be empathic with others who are experiencing the pain and the pangs of loneliness. You are no stranger to that. You came into this world, Lord Jesus, as a lonely baby, and you died as a lonely messiah. We appreciate that. We appreciate so much your love, and yet none of our words can ever can never thank you enough. But Father, we ask you that in your presence we may find the solution of loneliness, to loneliness. We ask you that in your presence we may find that relationship that is really the only relationship that can fill that vacuum, that emptiness, that thirst that we have inside. Let us come to the waters, the real waters, not the stagnant waters that we create ourselves, but the flowing, living, crystal clear water that you offer us. And you ask us nothing in return except receiving that gift and coming to you. Thank you, Father. We ask you for a special blessing on the so many thousands and millions of people who at this time of the year feel that loneliness. We ask you that you will allow them to see your presence To feel your touch a touch of love a touch of presence and understand your promise that you will be with us always that you will never leave us or forsake us thank you we ask it all in jesus name amen